Okay, hello. Thanks for the invitation to talk to Crux again. My name is Neil Young. I'm the Managing Director of Elixir Energy, an ASX-listed energy company that is focused on both traditional natural gas exploration in Mongolia and in Australia, and also is, is facing the new world as well in terms of an energy transition asset too. But today here, we, we, we mostly think it relevant to give an update on our gas projects, and I'm very pleased to be joined by two of my board colleagues who have uh, very uh, intense and lengthy and high-level experience in coal gas in Australia in particular um, for, for more than 20 years in the instance of, firstly, Richard Cotty, our chairman, uh, very well known in coal gas circles for running QGC, now, now a major shell asset, and also Stephen Kellerman, an ex-colleague of mine from Santos, uh, the founder of its coal gas business around tw two decades ago. So very pleased to have you here, Richard and Stephen, and be talking with you, Merlin. Uh, Neil, thank you very much for the introduction. Uh, Richard, Stephen, hello. Um, <clears throat> quite a, a kind of an quite an intimidating uh, uh, panel. I'm quite um, I'm very much looking forward to a kind of a, 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 an education on coal seam gas. I've got the kind of it seems like a kind of a, um, a global panel of expertise in front of me. Um, but um, let's put it to. Uh, the question of Nomgon, your kind of Mongolian asset, uh, could you give me kind of an update of where you've got to? Because you put out a news release last week saying that you'd uh, done a workover on uh, Hole 9 and you're extending the pilot program to Hole 10 and that you had some encouraging results, but also um, some not so encouraging results. So could you just kind of give me an update, first of all, of, of where that project has got to? OK, I'll, I'll give a quick summary up front and then pass over to my colleagues um, so the Nongon CBM pilot project is the first one that we've done, and indeed the first one in Mongolia's history. We commenced late last year in flowing uh, gas and water, and we got very early gas breakthrough. Then over the, the earlier months of this year, we saw the gas rates uh, increase. Um, uh, uh, but in more recent months, we've, we've undertaken some mechanical repairs uh, to pumps, undertaken some well workovers, and then last week we announced that the pilot had come back on, um, that one of the wells was shut in to measure uh, uh, communication with the other wells, that the the uh, well known as Nomgon 9 had come, come back successfully, but at a lower rate um, than had previously been measured. But that overall, we were encouraged with the progress being made, that we would extend the pilot for a, a period into the future, and that we would add another well in, in the pilot location to, to give us more information. And the purpose of a pilot is to give information so our geologists and engineers can uh, determine uh, the next path forward and determine whether the mix of various factors, of which flow rates are only one, can lead us on the pathway to declaring a commerciality uh, in this initial small area of our large PSC. Thank you very much for that. That's um, uh, there's quite a lot for me to unpack in that. Um, I'm not a um, um, coal seam gas specialist. Perhaps um, could Stephen, but with the, the engineering background, could you just kind of unpack for me the, or just explain to me in simple simple terms, one of the things that Neil mentioned just at the beginning, which was talking about um, establishing the flow of water and the flow of gas, and then gas breakthrough. You know, what are you looking for? And then and also communication between worlds. Could you kind of explain that um, 
in a little bit more detail or in simpler terms for um, uh, a layman? No. Yeah, if you took the mon look, all coals are different, um, and you've got to listen to what the coals tell you. So a non-gon, when we did the uh, early exploration work and the injection fall-off test and the sampling, we found that the gas content was on a received basis about five cubometers per ton, or dry ash free, about seven to nine cubometers per ton. At that depth, that sort of indicated that this is close to saturated or oversaturated. That that means that you've got very little pressure reduction to get the first gas coming out of the coals. Um, when we started the pilot back in October, November last year, we got gas on the first day, and that tells us that we are very close to saturation of the coals. In other words, at the reservoir pressure, the coals are holding 100% gas. That, that's a good thing. You want to have um, gas-saturated coal. I mean, um, forgive me, this is, this is really basic stuff, but... Um... Just, just yeah. because a lot of the viewers of this won't know exactly how coal um, seam gas works, so I just want to really kind of simplify it. Maybe I'm best to do the simplification, as I don't ever. Okay. <laughs> yes, perhaps, perhaps, Richard. Perhaps. I'm probably more of a layman. Look, essentially, uh, gas is trapped in the coal itself. The coal is both the source and the trap uh, for the gas. Essentially, both it's held in by both molecular uh, combinations, gas and uh, coal, both being hydrocarbons, and water, uh, which needs to escape first. When you look, when you talk about issues such as saturation, it is how much of the coal is saturated with gas. At a hundred percent, it is fully saturated. Sometimes you even get it oversaturated because the pressure is in there and sometimes under. But the higher the gas content, the higher the gas saturation, the more gas you have that can be extracted from any given area of the coal. So what you're trying to do is to bring the pressure down by flowing the water. That will release the gas that's held in the cleating of the coal in the little irregular holes that's in coal whenever you break it out. Um, and then eventually they bring the pressure down will break the molecular bondage, which is holding the re remainder of the gas within the coal solid. Does that sort of help? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, in, in a pilot test, the first thing you try to do is you try to flow the water. To, to, and that is to show um, if the water doesn't... The, the flow of the water presumably depends on the permeability of the coal, so whether it's overcompacted or not, or whether you can just kind of get water out. Correct. Both the permeability of the coal and sometimes even a low water make just means that it's oversaturated with gas. But basically, you're just trying to take down the pressure. Okay, and then you then you mentioned the word gas breakthrough, um, and is is that the first um, kind of. Uh, the, the gas and in, what do you call it, in the cleating? Okay. You, you flow the water to reduce the pressure in the reservoir, pressure in the cleats. And as the pressure drops, the gas dissolves out of the coal. So the gas flows out of the coal with a drop in pressure. And the, and the idea is to, norm, most coal seam gas reservoirs have water in the cleats, 100% water in the cleats. You've got to reduce the water out of the cleats to reduce the pressure in the cleat system to allow the gas to dissolve from the coal into the cleat system and flow to the well. What we had in Nongon was 
uh, probably gas, a little bit of gas, the cleat system, because it's saturated to oversaturated. Hence, we got gas on the first day, as well as water. Does that explain it a bit more for you, Merlin? Yeah, that does. Thank you. And then, and, and then um, so, so a successful pilot program will show that this works on a single well basis. Um, can you explain to me and the viewers the, the relationship with communication between wells? You know, what's the importance of, of, of that and what are you trying to establish there? You're trying to establish the maximum drainage area that you get out of a single well, and obviously, if you've got two wells, if they if they if they if the drainage area overlaps, you're going to get even um, a higher percentage of the gas recovered. So you don't want to put the second well too close, and you don't want it too far away because you want we're trying to help that desorption process. Okay, and where where have you got to in terms of the communication uh, at Nomgon? Is is this something you um, that looks promising? Is it better than you expected? Is it worse than you expected? Sorry, I was going to say the geology of Nomcon is such that you've got uh, the coals are a high angle, and we put the and there's indications of a fault. So the two worlds are indicating there could be a fault between them, and therefore that just changes your idea of how you develop the field and how you do your next pilot well. But equally on the positive side, further up, the, uh, further away, we have seen a pressure drop in some of our monitoring wells. So we're seeing the other side of the fault, there could be good communication. And that thesis is, that is the reason why we want to drill an extra well to see if we if we can actually get that communication and use the fault to some extent to our advantage in the sense that it will have trapped even more gas this side of the fault perhaps am i wrong to summarize that the 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 coal beds have shown plenty of gas um when you brought hold the pilot well nine back on after the work over you were you, uh, reading your news release i think it showed that you you said that you're using smaller pumps um you got slightly less a lower flow rate than you did prior or previously but generally there's it seems to be working and you've got indications that you can expand the system with hence kind of well well 10 so it's it was it's generally positive but the the lower flow rate um perhaps wasn't taken well by the market is that, is that a fair statement the water rate was still 100, about 100 barrels a day the gas rate was slightly lower um that gives you confidence that we're putting gas out of, we think, by the dual system, gas coming out of the cleats, and the water is following, and we've got to get the water out to get the pressure in the cleats low enough for the gas to dissolve out the coal. So it's a two-stage process that we, we think we're seeing, which is not unusual for a coal seam gas field, which is saturated to oversaturated. It's also necessary to realise that when you stop taking out the water, in the, depending on the permeability of the coal, you'll get a degree of recharge, that is water coming back in from further afield. Uh, so it's not unusual necessarily to see uh, that the gas flow rate will be less than when you uh, than when the pump uh, was turned off because of recharge, etc. Essentially. We are working off virginal information. Uh, we don't have uh, a geological survey. We're the first in the country to go ahead. So there's a lot of new 
information that we are discovering. Uh, and we'll continue to discover and then uh, before we actually get to the perfection uh, of where we want it, what we're saying is that for the first shot at it, it has worked uh, as well as can be expected from our experience of running very successful companies in the past. The uh, first shot is not necessarily uh, the same as what your 10th shot will be like because you've got experience between the 1 and 10. Uh, essentially, uh, this has had good water made, good gas rate. It has showing communication from afar uh, and uh, we uh, are encouraged by uh, drilling number 10 and we'll, we will then see if there is communication between 10 and 9 uh, that you will actually aid in the desorption process because you'll be pulling from two different directions. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Um, it, if I go back to your um, the presentation that the company um, published in February of this year, um, the, some of the goals for the pilot plant were to dewater uh, the coal and flow gas, um, to establish kind of a proof of concept for commercial development, and then to enter into an extended pilot test. Um, just listening to you then, it kind of feels as if those you're pretty much on track on that. Perhaps could you give me a little bit more colour, Richard, on uh, where you are in terms of the proof of concept towards commercial oh, development? Look, I think we've, first and foremost, the cost structure in Mongolia is uh, the square root of, uh, of the cost structure in Australia. So that means that what you need to get, uh, what is a commercial flow rate in Australia is a lot higher than you would need uh, for the same commerciality to occur in uh, Mongolia. In addition to that, because it's closest to the, one of the largest gas consuming nations in the world, uh, China, that ha that is competitor, is being trucked or piped or uh, shipped a long distance, it actually is going to get a better price than what you get in Australia, again, bringing down what the flow rate is. The idea that we've got 200,000 uh, cubic feet a day off the bat is pretty damn good. Uh, it'd be pretty damn good in Australia without going into the lower cost structure and the higher... Uh, pricing. The fact that the water make is not excessive uh, is also fairly positive from an economic point of view because one of the biggest costs if coal seam gas or coal bed methane is water disposal. So if you can get more gas out for less water, you're actually totally decreasing your inherent costs. So all in all, I think part of the problem with the market is that it's assuming that we need what uh, Australian-type results to achieve uh, Australian-type economics. We don't need the same results to achieve this, the equivalent economics in Australia uh, because of both price and cost. I mean, at the end of the day, as a capitalist, all you're interested in is the margin between what you sell it for and what it costs you to reduce. It's, uh, the rest is academic. I mean, our shareholders just want to make money. 
And I'm one of them. Yeah, no, um, thank you. That's, that's, that's really helpful. Um, in terms of, but, but you also mentioned that this is early days in the, in the testing process. And so you, you, in, in, in some ways, this is kind of shot one on a, on a, on a big area in an undeveloped field, uh, in a kind of, in a sense, virgin territory. Being the, you get the first mover advantage, which is you're able to build the land position and um, kind of establish the ground rules. Um, it comes with the disadvantages as well, the first mover disadvantages, which is you've got to generate your own database. Great. And there's many a dry gully before we hit the water course on this one. Um, when you, when, that meant there's many a dry gully. Uh, it, it, that is, is that a kind of a CGS phrase, CSG phrase? <laughs> no, no, it's, a, it's an agricultural phrase from Australia. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in other words, if you expect to actually get uh, the best result out of the first shot in your locker, you're actually playing lotto territory. Uh, you will, it'll be an accumulation of what you do that builds your database, that perfects your, out, your outcome, and then you will get a decent watercourse or, or cash flow. Okay, gotcha. Let's just kind of step back a bit. Um, the gas. I, I'm not. I'm not actually sure what the the Chinese gas prices are doing. But in Europe, we've seen um, prices falling uh, by about fifty percent in the last five or six months. Uh, your share price has only only fallen thirty percent in the last um, uh, six months. Is it? Do you feel that your share price is um, tracking that gas price? What is? I don't know what your local. Um, um, gas prices in China but have you had that same kind of um, softening of prices and has that been a, a, a drag on the share price do you think? No sure I mean clearly I mean gas prices have been very volatile in in, in numerous markets around the world over the last uh, you know 18 months since the war was initiated we know we saw those incredible spot prices in in Europe and in East Asia like probably 50 60 dollars uh, an MMBTU and, and clearly has come down to, I think recently a cargo to Japan went for $10 an MMBTU. Uh, in Europe, there's obviously a massive seasonal uh, uh, factor. Clearly the winter was very, very mild. Um, gas was put into storage to deal with with, uh, with a harsh winter and, and you're seeing the recovery for that. In Australia, it's probably been not quite as volatile. I mean, we, we do obviously have large exports, but no imports. Um, but, but clearly here there's been volatility too. I think because our, our projects are long-term, though, clearly sentiment is driven by price in, in the short term, but long-term economic value is driven by fundamentals. And the fundamentals in China are, as Richard said, it imports gas from every direction over a long way through expensive means. And that suggests that the, the long-term average price in China will remain as high as it is in, in, in probably much, pretty much anywhere in the world. And, and in uh, every commodity, you want to be in the lowest cost quartile, and the cost structure is very, very low. We, obviously, commodities will fluctuate in price over time. Yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm completely convinced of the, um, <clears throat> the favourable uh, price dynamics of fossil fuels in the form of coal, oil, and gas. Um, I, I, I can't see anything other than very, very strong um, uh, supply and demand fundamentals going forward just because our, our, our needs are great and um, supply in some ways is being restricted by lack of investment and indeed by, in some cases by government policy. Um, in, 
in in terms of what next and well actually before we get into kind of what next um what's the at the end of the year, I think you had $14 million um, Australian. Where are you roughly on your cash position? I, I'm aware that you may not be able to give me an exact figure. Yeah, so, I mean, we can only say what was in our last quarterly, which was just over $11 million. Um, in Mongolia, we have also been running our pilot program, and we are imminently about to commence a, what was nine, but probably now 10, 10 world program of, of various types. Now, as we have tried to make our case, the, the drilling costs in Mongolia are exceptionally low, so that won't uh, consume too much of that, that cash uh, budget. Our other projects, which I can talk about the Australian one later, we, we've got a recent uh, very positive development there about a source of funding uh, for that. So our, our cash balance is, is still pretty healthy given, given the calls upon it um, from, from a couple of different countries. Um, ENP companies, exploration companies are always, um, uh, well, typically they don't have a revenue source. And so at some point down the line, there's a capital raise coming. And um, you, you, presumably you have that in the back of the mind. At some point you've got to do a capital raise. I mean, every board does. Um, and you continue to have conversations with your major shareholders. Um, what's what's their what did the institution what does the institutional portion of your um, shareholder register um, tell you about how comfortable they are with the, and the way the progress is going? So not not every institution it still invests in oil and gas, but but uh, those that are about making money, I think, share your view that um, demand which drives this market, um, will be strong for a very considerable period that in a scenario when supply is constrained by, for instance, government action or, 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 or ESG concerns, then the obvious economic outcome is that prices will rise to then, to then ensure that demand and supply meet. Now, some of the opponents to oil and gas believe that it is uh, demand is induced by supply, like we're tobacco manufacturers hooking in people, but um, uh, e energy is fundamental to everything human beings do. And I think that is, is a very false um, assumption. It clearly demands drive supply, not, not vice versa in our industry. And that, that is the fundamental tenet, which means it will endure and be strong for a very considerable period. I, I agree. I, I, I liken it to when people kind of have um, closet um, um, sexual tendencies that they don't know about, you know, that they kind of, they're, they're these unwitting, um, <laughs> let's say you're kind of an unwitting gay person or something, you don't actually recognise it in yourself, but everybody kind of who, who um, has got a little bit more experience can, can see it from a mile off. I, I, I feel it's it's now the, the love that cannot um, speak its name is uh, that um, <clears throat> All of these environmental activists, in fact, every human on the on the planet is a closet addict to um, low cost, available, versatile energy. And um, it comes out when when there's a shortage of energy. But that's um, that's perhaps a little bit radical for um, this conversation. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> in terms of you the <laughs> <to> comment, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> in terms of um, kind of what happens next and the work program and, you know, ramping up of activities, how, how, what are your catalysts for value in terms of, um, you know, how do you 
grab people's attention. In fact, this is probably a good time to let, let's move over to Australia and look, let's talk about the grandest project and where you are in terms of finding a partner for your um, for the planned well later this year or early next year. So last week we announced that we had received an advanced finding from the Australian government that the nature of the work that we would undertake on our high-impact Daydream 2 well was sufficiently innovative that they would pay in cash for nearly half of the costs of that well. So 43.5% is the exact figure. Um, now, that um, clearly indicates that we have, a, have, in effect, a partner, but who is not getting any equity in the project. So it's the best, best partner of all. So that was really fabulous news. So going to your point about catalysts, this is quite a different sort of well than our coal seam gas wells. It, it's deep. It's targeting a, a play with a very large amount of known gas in place. Uh, where the innovation comes in is applying fracture stimulation techniques to liberate that gas again in a commercial fashion. And if it is, it's uh, very proximate to infrastructure that connects to Australia and, and the world. Um, so a successful well there will be high impact. On, and to, to round back again in terms of partnering, we uh, are engaging potential partners, but our need for partners is clearly significantly reduced given the great success in procuring this Australian government support. So we would only, only pick a partner if they add something more than a monetary contribution. I'm slightly kind of gobsmacked that they're paying for 43.5% of the well, because when I read the news release, it didn't explicitly say that. It said that it would help with R&D um, and enhanced stimulation techniques. Uh, I, I, I wasn't aware that it was a, they were willing to pay for that much for the entire well. I thought it was just for a, a, a kind of a either pre pre well analysis or post well analysis i didn't realize it was for actually the whole thing well that's i mean richard's an ex lawyer so he might forgive me for this but i probably got the lawyers too much involved in in writing some aspects of the announcement so it's a good tip from you that that, that wasn't clear because clearly you're a sophisticated reader of these things but yeah the nature of these things is when properly crafted and documented is that if the objective of the activity is to actually apply the innovative technique, then everything that goes towards that qualifies. So although the, you know, the fracking is the key um, uh, innovation here, but you, you can't do that until you drill the well. And so the well counts as part of the activities too. So it, it's, it's a really significant contribution. 43.5% of the trial. Right. Yeah, which includes the well. Um, <clears throat> and so... It, when you say you're looking for a partner that's going to contribute more than money, um, what what kind of attributes would that include? Is, is that uh, deep drilling expertise? Is it uh, that particular... Um, well, you, you tell me. I won't put words in your mouth. Someone who provides great technical capability would, would clearly fall into that category. But uh, what what we've been probably favouring, without without being too exclusive, is that someone who could provide gas marketing throughput into, say, Japanese markets, like a Japanese trading house, um, would uh, provide, obviously, money, but also then uh, an ability to access international pricing through partnering with them. But just to, just to, to recap, with this government support, we don't, we don't need a partner. If we get a great one, we'll pick it but we probably don't need one. It, it, it comes down to having to raise capital uh, at your current share price 
or not, really. I mean, I think that's the it, it, it's slightly becomes a dilution and a balance sheet thing as well. Exactly. It's dilution at the asset level or at the balance sheet level. Um, and we are still working on, on, on one or two other things as well, which are not yet at the point of fruition where we can announce them, but, but could also give some quasi-non-dilutionary contribution towards costs as well. It's always a perennial question whether, when you fundraise, whether you fundraise after you've de-risked it, how far do you de-risk it, et cetera, before you fundraise, uh, or do you share the risk up front? Uh, and obviously the board's going to be considering that in the light of the circumstances at the very at the time. But it is always important that you've got a place to sell it. So obviously marketing is very important. And just in terms of um, going back to Nongon, uh, to try and understand the timeline on that in terms of how much further the, the, the well test is going to, the, the pilot programs are going to run and when do you kind of reassess and, and what's the what are the various steps towards commerciality or um, further de-risking in terms of infrastructure and planning i mean are we talking is this likely to get tied in in five years time or um 10 years time or two years time just kind of can you give me a, a bit more understanding on that please but i'll go first richard uh, um i i think that uh the, the the time frame for for the flow test will will really be constantly reassessed depending upon results. Um, particularly for the first well, the the ability to predict the future is uh, relying on less data. Um, we'd certainly hope for considerably less periods than than you've mentioned, but there are instances around the world where there have been sustained sustained periods of, for instance, water flow before before gas breaks through. Um, but we, but we think, in, in given the characteristics here of high gas saturation that we mentioned, it should be considerably less than that. So we, so we will constantly reassess, um, but I think it will be towards the lower end of the scale or, or lower than you mentioned. Okay, good. In terms of kind of the news flow for the rest of the year and um, potential spud dates on, on, at Grandis, perhaps could you just kind of um, almost to wrap up to kind of tell me what the kind of the work plan looks like for the next uh, six to 12 months? Okay, so on, on Mongolia, we'll see. We'll follow the, the pilot for that you know, indeterminate, but hopefully not too long period that we said. We'll, we'll drill the additional pilot well. Um, we'll also prosecute uh, a nine well program of mixture of exploration and appraisal wells in Mongolia, uh, commencing imminently and, and then proceeding over the rest of the year, but hopefully wrapping up before the, the true depths of Mongolian winter. Um, uh, the Nongon well, we've always said to the market that the timing of that depends upon rig availability. And below the water, our, our duck legs are paddling furiously on that. There are a number of other operators doing work and planning work, both big and small in the region. And we're engaging with the various service companies on that. And we, we have, we've had announced a timetable of around year end, and, and, and that's still our public Position. Sorry, you, you said Nomgon, but I think you meant Grandis. I, I did, yes. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, my my um, misstatement. Um, so th those are probably the biggest things. We do, of course, have our hydrogen project that we've mentioned before in our interviews. Um, the ownership of our Japanese partner changed recently, probably for the good, with uh, a member of the Toyota Group, Toyota Sushu, the, the trading house member of that group. Taking a majority stake in in our in our SoftBank owned entity, and uh, uh, all communication with our Japanese friends is that um, the interest in the project on their side remains strong. And uh, it's probably interesting to observe that of all the global uh, motor manufacturers, Toyota's been one of the biggest promoters of 
of hydrogen uh, over uh, electric vehicles. I'm sure it's doing both now. It's, it's big enough to do so. So uh, we might see some developments uh, as that partnership matures um, a- as well. Uh, Neil, thank you very much. Um, Stephen, I'm sorry we haven't uh, drawn on you very much. The, the connection hasn't been so good with you. Um, so it's been d- difficult to integrate you into the interview. But um, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, likewise to you, Neil. And um, Richard, perhaps to um, see us out, could you give us kind of um, a few salutary remarks in a chairmanly fashion about um, um, how you view this company and relative to what you've done before and other things that you kind of seen in the in in the space? Clearly, um, the uh, the Australian leg of it is uh, pretty interesting in the sense that it could be a multi TCF type play. So it is the really big earner if it comes in. Um, and uh, clearly the Australian market is desperately in need of more uh, gas, uh, and uh, there's a lot of reasons to be very confident that in Australia the gas prices are going to remain uh, well above what the government thinks they can get it to. Um, the Mongolian stuff, uh, the Price is so high, etc., that virtual pipelines may well see uh, the development early uh, of it. But uh, we uh, are pretty confident that we're going to have an economic pilot uh, as a result of what's happened at Nongon. It's a question of where do you put that uh, gas? And Mongolia has no other indigenous sources of gas anyway. Without talking about China, uh, there's a lot of demand inherent in Mongolia as well. So it's really, we're at the cusp of uh, interesting times uh, and uh, I think it's uh, important that we uh, continue on. Great. Thank you very much. On that note, with the with the telephones ringing, um, um, I bid you farewell and uh, look forward to catching up on the next time. Looking forward to seeing the, the progress on, on Well10 and particularly um to see whether you can get that rig availability for um, Grandis and to see kind of um, I, th- that that's a kind of a, a, a pretty binary um, opportunity there, I, I would say. Thanks, Merlin. Thank, Thank you. Merlin. Thank you very much, Merlin.